Good morning. We'll try that one more time. Good morning. We gather this morning for worship. As Becky Horse mentioned on Wednesday during the opening convocation, this is a Friday and Friday is chapel. So when we gather for on Friday, it is somewhat different than when we gather on Monday or sometimes Wednesday for convocation. In chapel, we turn our attention to our souls and the ways that our souls draw us beyond ourselves to pay attention to the divine, to God. And one of the ways that we draw our attention to the spiritual realities of life is through music, and in particular, through singing. Now, we have three songbooks in this space. We have the blue hymnal worship book. We have the green sing the journey, not to be confused with the purple sing the story. And we often project words for songs that are not found in these resources on the screens back here. I also very often project the words that are indeed in the resources. So if you are more comfortable reading the words of the song, just the words, and not being um, confused by reading the notes, feel free to just read the screen. Now, if you're doing that, I encourage you to find somebody to sit next to who is a little bit familiar with reading the notes so that you hear the melody and can sing along and enter in. And um, I did not grow up in singing in the Mennonite tradition. I didn't grow up Mennonite, but I have developed a deep appreciation for the myriad of ways that singing together builds community. So whether you consider yourself to be a great singer or a novice, I encourage you, sing along. We are less than complete without you. So singing is a unique thing about chapel. Another thing that is unique about chapel is this lamp, this blue lamp that's in front of us. Each time we gather for chapel, we light this Christ lamp as a visual reminder of the Spirit of Christ who is present when two or three, or maybe today 223, gather together with the intent of worshiping God. So when we come together, we light the lamp as a reminder of Christ's presence with us here and now. This morning, a number of the worship assistants are going to be helping out and as we sing together here in this place, number six in the hymnal, worship book, the blue book, Angeliki Santos is going to light the Christ candle. So would you please turn in your hymnal or look up here for number six here in this place. And I'm gonna invite two other worship assistants, Andrea Moya and Sam Smucker. And let's then stand together you are able and sing here in this place. Here in this place, 
Amen. May it be so. And while you're standing, please stay standing and turn in the same book to number 12. And I'm going to invite Becky Snyder to come and lead this song. This is a song that we will sing a cappella. Come, let us all unite to sing. and gifts to the table when we gather with a group like this. And two seniors, Emma Garrick and Jess Sprunger, have used their unique artistic gifts to make for us a chapel banner reflecting this year's Campus Ministries theme, Sewing Compassion Side by Side. This banner, over here on my right, uh, is made in two sections that hang side by side inviting us to consistently, when we come into this space for chapel, to reflect on the questions, in what ways am I sowing compassion? What does this compassion look like? And who is it that is sowing compassion beside me? 
And when I am listening to a speaker, what is it that this speaker is calling me to do in the way of living out a compassionate life and sowing compassion around me? Now, this banner, if you look at it closely, you'll notice that it is sewn, like with a needle and thread. And that is in part because when I first mentioned the idea of making a banner to Emma, she said, you want me to sew compassion? Like, sew compassion, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so therefore, <laughs> another thing that is unique about chapel is that we have a lovely banner side by side. And it is up every Friday. So when you come in here, if the banner is not up there, think, hmm, is this chapel or is this convocation? It might be a Monday, right? Thank you, Emma and Jess, for sowing compassion among us. We are indeed made more fully whole when we recognize the gifts of each other. So I would like to invite now up front the Sam and Andrea and Hillary and Becky and either and Karina and Angeliki as we uh, sing together, Somos a Cuerpo de Cristo, we are the body of Christ. It's found in the green book, number 64. Oh, and Reuben. Reuben is, um, you'll notice he does not have a sewing compassion shirt. He has a spirited life shirt because he was a ministry leader last year. The way this song goes is it, you sing it one line in Spanish or one line in English and you go back and forth. Um, and we're going to have this group up here sing the parts that say solo. And so those of you who are singing the solo step way on up here. All right. And so let's go ahead and stand up. This is a hard one to sing sitting down.
Bob Yoder to come forward. Bob is a campus pastor here. He and I work together. My name is Gwen Gustafson Zook. I'm the minister of worship, and Bob is a campus pastor. So I invite us to turn our attention to Bob as he brings us some insights on what sowing compassion might call us to. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages and teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and sickness. When Jesus saw the, the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. This is a picture of my daughter, Mira. She is a sparkly five-year-old girl who is quite the jokester. Developmentally speaking, children are not to grasp sarcasm until their preteen or teenage years, but she is way ahead on that note. But Mira also possesses a tender, compassionate side. If she comes up to you and licks your arm, that means she likes you. And on those days when I need it the most, she'll come up to me and give me a soft kiss on the cheek. Mira is quite sassy at times. Several weeks ago, I was on a day-long prayer retreat. At the end of the day, as I was getting ready to leave, I noticed a book titled, Love Poems from God, 12 Sacred Voices from the East and West. Normally, I do not revel in poetry. My brain doesn't work that way. But I opened this book and saw that one of the featured voices was a woman named Mira. I read a few of her poems and kept reading more as I was laughing out loud at her poetry. Here is one titled, Our Eyes Should Be. But as I was reading these poems, it was as if my little Mira was shouting these poems. Our eyes should be. 
The rejected lover trembles when, like when the earth quakes, an oasis for each other our eyes should be. All hearts listen. I rarely get angry, but if you hold another close and then cast them aside, you will have Mira to deal with. Another poem that functions as a praise to God, titled, Mira Knows Why. The earth looked at him and began to dance. Mira knows why, for her soul too is in love. If you cannot picture God in a way that always strengthens you, you need to read more of my poems. There were other funny, sassy poems that would love to share with you, and I didn't quite think they were appropriate for this chapel. But I could imagine Mira saying these, particularly in about 10 or 15 years. But I wondered, who is this poet, Mira? I learned that she was from India, lived from 1498 to 1550. She was born a princess in the area of Rajasthan. But as a young woman, after her husband died, Mira renounced her title and wealth to become a sadhu, a wandering ascetic. Mira was a fierce champion of human rights, especially women's rights, and with a shocking wit and penetrating insight, would often expose the ridiculous aspects of politics, chauvinistic expression, oppression, and other unhelpful systemic realities. I liked this poet, Mira, not only for her sassy style, but the ways she worked at sowing compassion in her time and context. Though our Mira was not named after this Indian princess, she was named after another woman who serves as a model of what sowing compassion looks like for me. It's my mother. My mother's name is Miriam. Our Mira's full name is Mira Susanna, named after my mother and after my wife's mother, Susan. We dropped a couple of letters off the first name and added them to the middle name. My mother is one of the warmest, kindest, gentlest people I know. She exuded unconditional love to all eight of her children, especially when as adults we were not always the most lovable of people, or we made certain life choices that I know deeply pained my mother. This is a picture of my mother, she's off to the right, when she was a little girl, she's a middle child of 11. My grandparents were in their early 80s, were in their 80s when I was a young boy, and so I did not get to know them very well. But from the stories my mother told about her parents, they too were people of compassion. Compassion was sown from one generation to the next. And I pray that I have learned something about compassion, that I may pass that on to my children as well. My mother is now nearing 80 and suffers from Alzheimer's. I wish that my own two children would get to know Mira, or get to know my mother in the same way that I got to know her. But pictures and stories will have to do. This is last Christmas when Mira went up and, and hugged my mother. The scripture that I recited earlier is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 41. In the book of Matthew, this is the first of four times 
that Matthew uses the word compassion. All four times, it's referring to Jesus who had compassion because of the people around him, the crowds around him. In three of the four passages, Jesus physically healed people. In the other passage, he physically fed people. Jesus did not merely feel compassion or pity or sympathy. He did something to better the situation that he found himself in, in his context. In fact, if you look closely at all of chapter 9 of the book of Matthew, there are five healing stories. In addition to one story where Jesus is questioned about fasting and another story where Jesus called forth a disciple named Matthew. But then the chapter culminates with these verses. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Our campus ministry's theme this year is sowing compassion side by side. Something that strikes me about this gospel story is that after Jesus had compassion on the crowds, he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When Jesus taught his disciples, he often conveyed his points with images, metaphors, and parables. The first metaphor in this set of verses is that the crowd is referred to as sheep without a shepherd. The second metaphor is that of an agricultural one. And me being the boyhood farmer that I was growing up, I like agricultural metaphors. The metaphor of harvest. The harvest is connected to precisely what Jesus is doing and what he is about in these verses and in this passage. In this chapter, he was about a whole lot of healing. Yes, he did some teaching. He engaged in a little bit of theological dis discussion and debate, called forth the disciple. But there are five healing stories that culminate in this chapter and in these words. I invite you to take 30 seconds to consider people who you know who are harassed and helpless. Maybe your friends here, maybe people back home, maybe people associated with news headlines that you're following right now. Take 30 seconds to consider people who you know to be harassed and helpless. Another point that strikes me about this story is Jesus' final words. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He doesn't suggest only one laborer. The word is plural. The last part of our campus ministry's theme is quite important. Side by side. Yes, we can individually sow compassion, but we are a community of people, and in many cases, compassion is best sown side by side with another person or with other people, because it's in those kinds of collective endeavors 
as we sow compassion, we also learn. We learn from one another. We learn from all of those around us. And perhaps we also become a bit more compassionate and learn something in the process. In my own life, there have been many people and situations that have served as models for me for compassion. I remember my youth sponsor holding me beside the casket of a high school friend as I cried for 20 minutes. He just held me as I cried and cried and cried. And that image of what Lynn did for me continues to serve as a pastoral image as I try and walk with people. The unconditional love and acceptance I felt from three of my aunts have reminded me of the importance of humility. While in my mid-twenties as I was trying to figure out life and struggling with that, I'd sometimes get all high and mighty and think that I came out on the right end of a certain theological debate or question or point or something. But it was me remembering my three aunts who were at a different place theologically than where I was, but their compassion and love and openness, I decided that if I had to choose people to pick to live with in life and to be with, I'd prefer them any day than people who were always right, agreed with me all the time, but were jerks about it. I remember well the many Goshen College employees who offered compassion and comfort when my wife and I struggled with infertility, and then later as our unborn son at the time, Josiah, faced some very scary medical challenges. Those times and others have helped me fully realize the best of our Goshen College environment. There are many other people and experiences that have impacted my understanding of what it means to sow compassion side by side. And I'm sure you can recall people and situations in your own lives that have exuded this. This is my seven-year-old son, Josiah. He loves playing Legos and Pokemon cards. He's a fun guy to be with. Josiah is also quite tender-hearted. I've learned much from him. The other week, Josiah came home from school and wrote a book. He was so excited about this book that he wanted to share it with his second grade class. And then he wanted to give it to Mira so that she could share it with her kindergarten class. And then he wanted to donate it to the library. <laughs> Not having read it yet, I thought it might be a funny story involving Star Wars characters or features from Captain Underpants that he loves to read. But I was in awe of what he wrote. And here is his book that he wrote. And when I asked him permission for me to share this story with you, he insisted that I bring this book in to you. Here is his book, God Loves You by Josiah Yoder, dedicated to my loving family. <laughs> I didn't prompt him to write anything. This was done before I saw anything. Behind the stars is so much love. Your mom loves you, your dad loves you. He was quick to point out he was or, um, drawing my goatee on that face. <laughs> I was glad it was me that he was referring to and anyways. Your sisters and brothers love you. God loves you so much. Narrative, 
This is a true narrative story. It's so true. <laughs> Josiah, I'm seven years old, and eventually we want to post a picture here where he wrote the instructions. <laughs> For Josiah, the image of the heart obviously reminds him of love. That's the basis of his book. But the physical heart also has a special meaning for our family because of a congenital heart defect that he was born with. When he was two and a half years old, he had a corrective procedure done at Riley's Children's Hospital in Indianapolis. So each year we celebrate Josiah's Heart Day in October. The medical staff lived out their compassion to him and us as a family. I won't forget the feeling of that morning when I handed Josiah over to the doctor who then carried him away behind closed doors. Yes, this procedure was expected to go well, but I knew that any time you mess with the heart, there can always be those risks, and I prayed that I would get to hold my son alive and well again. In that scary and vulnerable time, my wife and I were appreciative of the compassion shown to us. The doctor, who is Catholic, prayed with us. The nurse's gentle disposition comforted our nerves. Even Clifford, the big red dog's presence in the hospital room after Josiah uh, was, was in the hospital room, lifted up all of our faces. In this last page of Josiah's book, he was quick to point out to me that even the oceans of the earth there are heart-shaped. I've learned much from Josiah and Mira and pray that they both continue to sow compassion and as this image portrays, side by side with others. Thank you, Bob. I invite us all to pause for a moment and think, how would we like to sow compassion this semester? I invite you to think about it for a few minutes and then if you would like, find your way to one of the three tables, two in the aisles and one up here in the front. And write down how it is that you would like to sow compassion this year. In relationships with people you're living with, in relationships with family members, in relation to the earth, in relation to the geopolitical situations that we find ourselves in, in relation to people you do not yet know. Write down your intentions, your hopes, on that piece of paper, and then make your way to the front and put it in the terracotta pot as a way of stating and offering your intentions to God, your hopes, your dreams for today and for days to come, that the world might know the tender, compassionate, love of God. Invite the, some musicians to come up front and we'll take a few minutes to write our intentions. You can get up at any point that, you're, that you feel ready.
If you are still writing, go ahead and finish. And if you are done, and even if you're not, I invite you to pray with me, offering these our intentions to God. Gracious God of life, our hopes, our dreams, our lives we offer to you, the invigorator of every act of impassion, the lifter of our burdens, the generator of our goodness, the fount of our imaginations, the source of our being. May you be honored in the lives that we live, and may your spirit of compassion and love infuse all that we are and all that we do, so that the world will be changed for the good. In the name of Jesus, who modeled for us compassion in its fullness. Amen. And while normally we would say it's time to go, we want to sing one more song. My Soul Cries Out, found in the Purple Book. Please stand, number 124, and I'll invite a bunch of other musicians forward for this one.
in peace.